This message is brought to you by Cornerstone Gospel Church in Frankston, Australia. Romans chapter 6, and we're looking at the process of growth. These are some of the topics we've looked at in recent weeks. We're not going to go back over those, uh, but today we want to have a look at the cross and not so much go into the gospel, but we want to uh, look at the cross because these issues such as you know self-denial and consecration, these kinds of things, they're not easy, easy matters to deal with. And if you have wrestled with sin, you know they're not easy matters to deal with. Amen? Right? That is... It's, it's good for us to be honest before God because He knows. And so when, we, when we're not honest about that and when we sort of say, oh no, not me, Pastor, I'm almost perfect now. Um, you, you're lying to yourself and, uh, and the Lord knows anyway. And so the, the Holy Spirit, though, releases the treasures of His Word not always quickly and not always easily. And so, you know, when you first become a believer, it seems like you're just overwhelmed, swamped with truth and revelation from God's word. And and uh, it seems like the trajectory of growth is, you know, uh, at an exponential rate. Um, but there are times in which, as you grow as a Christian, there are times in which things seem to flatline, like a heart that stops and the monitor just has a steady beep, you know. And uh, so there are times in which it feels like that. But God is still working in those times. And, and you and I may, may feel like, and feelings are never a good judge, we may feel like we're not in the right place. We may feel like we're not growing. But God's work in your life includes preparation. And that's the hard part for us. Um, I've mentioned gardening before. The key to gardening is preparation. That, that's the key. It's pretty simple. I am no green thumb. Trust me. Um, but a bit of preparation and things proceed well. And God's work in your life also includes that preparation. God is always tilling the soil of your heart. He's always plowing the soil of your heart, helping you get some weeds out. And uh, break up the 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 sod soil of your heart, so that the seeds of His Word can sprout and and develop into their their uh, much needed truth. And so there will be times in which there is much time involved, much digging involved, much praying, much meditation over the Word, yearning. For God to bring you through this stage. All of these things. And true spiritual reality as you mature in Christ does not come easily. But praise God, it does come. Amen. So, praise the Lord. We... um, that's why you shouldn't put trainer wheels on your kids' bikes, right? Because they 
lean on those false things and when you take them off, they fall over. And we, we had trainer, trainer wheels on our son, our first son's bike and uh, he fell over even with the wheels on. And so we took the wheels off and got him going, put some, you know, gave him some pushes and, uh, and before long he, uh, he had the balance and things were good. So God sometimes, you know, he, he takes the trainer wheels off and, and he gets us going, gets us standing on truth in his word. And that, that maturity leads to not an independence of belief, but an interdependence of our lives locked in step with one another, but an independence of strength where we're standing on the strength of God's word. And, uh, and praise God for that because that is where the persecuted believers stand is on the truth of God's word because many times that's all they have. So Romans chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? May it never be. God forbid. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized, immersed into Christ, and that's upon faith in Jesus Christ, immersed into Christ Jesus, have been baptized or immersed into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the, from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. And just a reminder, the baptism mentioned there is not water baptism. It's talking about when you place faith in Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God takes you and immerses you into Jesus. So the Greek word, baptizo, uh, from which we get the word baptism, uh, it brings with it this understanding of water baptism to us, which Scripture speaks of. But in this situation here, Romans chapter 6, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the Spirit himself immersing you into Jesus. And uh, um, and so that creates some wonderful context to it. Verse 5, For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin for he who has died is freed from sin. Verse 8. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Father, we thank you for your word, and we ask you, Lord, that you would uh, uh, right now illuminate it to our hearts. Give us a revelation, Lord, of justification and sanctification. We praise you in Christ's name. Amen. So there are facts about the cross, not only that need understanding, but also need appropriating. There were witnesses to the crucifixion of Jesus who were not believers. They, in fact, were responsible for his death. So when it comes to understanding, though, they had some understanding. They were there. They saw it take place. 
And yet many of them did not become believers. In fact, many of them mocked him while he was on the cross. Now, you and I must appropriate the truths of the cross of Jesus and particularly two profound truths, which we'll come to. But this proves to be one of the difficult phases of growth in the believer's life. Before you're saved, so here is salvation at this point, before you're saved, you hear the gospel and you hear about the cross and it makes sense to you because what you hear in essence boiled down, Jesus died for your sins and in a good presentation of the gospel, you become aware of your sins, you become aware that Jesus died for those sins and you place faith in Jesus and you are saved, you're justified, right? Just as if I'd never sinned, right? Justified. But another action of the cross or another result of the cross is that when you and I place faith in Jesus Christ, we are also sanctified with him. And this is something that has been accomplished, is being accomplished, and ultimately will be accomplished. And so this is a a spiritual situation in which we're situated because we are sanctified with Jesus Christ uh, by faith in him and yet you and I wrestle with sin. And we come to that cry of Paul where he says, who shall deliver me from this body of sin? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ in Romans 7. So the riches of God's word, more than just a, a, um, a, what do you call those, like a promise verse, you know, or verse of the day. The riches of God's word are available for those who earnestly will yearn for God, for those who hunger and thirst for him and understanding of these two aspects of Calvary become vital. And that is that of spiritual growth and life-giving service. In order for you and I to see spiritual growth and life-giving service, we have to come to this place where we embrace the cross, not just as a uh, place in which God accomplished the justification of those who place faith in Jesus Christ, but accomplished also the uh, possibility for you and I to live by faith in that work on the cross and so uh, see God working in us for victory over sin. That would be called sanctification. So Calvary is the key to the Christian life right now. Right now. There is no victory for believers that was not first his. So Calvary is to be appropriated by faith. How did you get saved? Now, I love the way I have an audio somewhere of Warren Wearsby being interviewed about his beliefs and he was asked if... You know, he was of this persuasion of Christianity or that persuasion. 
who cares what they are? Um, and so he said, I'm none of the above. And he went on to explain, because the question related to how he was saved, and it was a question regarding, uh, you know, particular positions regarding predestination, election, and free will. And so his response was that I was saved when God the Father chose me in Christ before the foundation of the world. So that sounds very to one side. Then he was saved. Uh, then he says, but I was also saved when Jesus declared from the cross, it is finished. And he says, but ultimately I was saved when the Holy Spirit came into my life when I bowed my knee in repentant prayer and trusted Christ as my Savior. And beyond that, I don't wish to speculate. And so this becomes, you know, this is really important for us to understand that when God speaks about some things that are spiritual realities and he speaks about them in the present tense, and yet we don't see them sometimes fulfilled to un, until the future. And so if you went to Ephesians and, and about us being dead in trespass and sin, and then it says that we are seated. Now you are seated right now. So you understand the present and continuous tense of that. You are seated in this building. And in Ephesians, Paul says to the church that we are seated with him in heavenly places. So there's something of a spiritual reality that is presently true and yet not presently fulfilled in, in its fullness. But it's fulfilled in Jesus. And so for this, we trust that God has us in control and we go, God, you're, you're blowing my mind. I don't, I can't quite grasp that I'm presently seated with Jesus in heavenly places and yet I'm here at 66 Bradman Drive, but I know that your word is true. And so that which is not possible for me to get my head around, I know your word is true on that. And so there is no victory for us as believers that was not first his. The scripture says that Jesus was a man tempted in all points like we. Right? Now, how does a, how does a sinless person face temptation like you and I? I don't know. I can't answer that for you because, you see, I know that the the sin that is in me in the Adamic uh, birth in which I which I have, that that sin in me pulls me in directions. It, it works, it, it's, it's attracting me in certain ways because there are roots in my life from that. Jesus didn't have that. Yet scripture says because of his deity and humanity, he also was tempted like you and I in all points. And the word in all points represents to us the points of a compass. So it's all encompassing that in all directions, Jesus was tempted just like you and I. Now, <clears throat> what he purchased for us at the cross we ought to experience. Imagine purchasing some wonderful thing for your spouse or for your children and you you bring it home and they never touch it. And they, they look at it and they go, wow, thanks dad, thanks mum for this and they just never touch it. It just 
is there and they never touch it, they never look at it. It's an amazing gift you bought me. But they never appropriate that gift at all. That would be ridiculous. That would be a crazy thing. So a life of holiness begins with faith in the Saviour, which sees more than just his substitutionary work. When Jesus died at the cross, remember we've been reading from Romans 6 over and over, that when Jesus died at the cross for our sins, that was a substitution for us, because we could not die for our sins. You know, if we have to die for our sins, then we're lost, perish forever. When Jesus died for our sins, he was a substitution for us. But Paul then goes on to say, when we placed faith in Jesus, we were what? Crucified with him. And as Jesus rose from the dead, we also were raised to a new life. And so the cross is the place at which a life of holiness truly begins. It begins with identifying with Christ in his death and resurrection. Romans 6, verse 6, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. Romans 6, 11, even so, consider yourselves, reckon yourselves to be dead to sin. I think the King James says to be dead indeed and to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now, Christianity is not an intellectually deficient faith, you know, and um, and this is why it's important in in Christianity not to just be absorbed into Christian myths. There's there's some of them that get around and they spread around the internet pretty quickly and and you get those um, ridiculous um, Christian chain emails that come around on Messenger and stuff and, you know, um, pass this prayer request on to 10 people and God will bless you today, you know, um, all these kinds of things. 42 missionaries are going to be killed today in Turkey Please pray for them. And then when you Google, it was first done, said in 2006, and uh, and it's a hoax, you know. That's not to say missionaries aren't being killed overseas. They are. But our intelligent faith does not rest upon these kinds of Christian myths or practices. It rests upon the facts of Calvary. And you can research... Um, Calvary as a historical uh, fact and you, your faith can be strengthened as you do that. Now, as we, as we build strength and confidence in Calvary, the event, and in what the Bible describes Calvary as accomplishing, the Holy Spirit can bring freedom to finish the work of Calvary in our lives. Jesus said it is finished, it's an accomplished fact, and now the Holy Spirit is finishing that finished work in us, right? Because you and I sometimes are a little bit resistant to that. Just sometimes, 
I'm just saying, you know, maybe it's just me. So, now we, when we were saved, we were justified by faith in his death for our sins. All right? Simple. We understand that. That's justification. But the next aspect is vital as well, that we understand our union with Christ at Calvary is the key to progressive sanctification. Now, I'm, I'm a little bit scared to, afraid to use that word. What's wrong with progressive? Oh, these, these progressive days, I see where you're going. You know, a um, little bit afraid to, or scared to use the word progressive, not because of its PC connections in this day and age, but because it implies that we we just reach new levels and all that is behind because we've progressed past. But you know that there are times in your life where you fall back to things you did a long time ago, right? But still, God is sanctifying us and he's working a wonderful work. And if you look back at your life, if you look at your life today and you look back years ago, you can see that God has brought you along in understanding and in sanctification. There are are things you wrestled with there that you're not wrestling with now in this place. And praise God for that, you know. So I'm hesitant to use the phrase, but it's appropriate in this context. It's truth. It is truth which allows the Holy Spirit to bring freedom from the power and the enslavement of sin. Right? God's word is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to pierce and divide that which is of your flesh from that which is of his spirit. Right? So God is cutting away your flesh. The issue of circumcision, which is unnecessary in the New Testament church, um, uh, in the physical sense, was an issue of reminding the people that actually what they truly needed, and God rebukes the Israelites several times in the Old Testament for not being circumcised of heart. And he as much as says to them that it's pointless to be circumcised in the flesh if you're not circumcised of heart. That is the essence of hypocrisy. Romans 6, 6, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we should no longer be slaves to sin. And all God's people said, oh, me, Lord, that's me. Wrestling with that in that stage. You know, when we go from here and we stand in the presence of God, you will be free from this war with sin. Free from this war with the body of death but also free from the war with this body of sin. Free from the presence of sin. I was listening to some people on the radio this week and they were talking about how this is unsaved people talking about how they uh, 
are very careful. The, the thing they're most careful with their children watching is the news because of the constant stream of, of, um, of violence, for one thing, but also propaganda. These weren't Christians talking, you know. We'll be free from this, free from this messaging all the time in this world that's, that's coming through all the time, you know, assaulting your children, assaulting your friends, assaulting you, free from that, free from the presence of sin. We'll be entirely sanctified and given glorified bodies. <laughs> free, free from that slip disc, free from that sciatica, free from that dod, free from that dodgy knee, free from the chrome dome. See, Jesus went to the cross alone to pay for your sins. He took them with him to the cross. But by faith in him, when you place faith in Jesus, we all are crucified with him. That's what Romans says. How do you get your head around that? But Paul is very specific on this. We were crucified and died and were buried with him and were resurrected to a new life through faith in him. This is the the spiritual reality that Paul talks about. And he talks about it in a way, he's not just saying, imagine this happened because this might help you get through the day. He's saying, understand this, know this knowing that our old man was crucified with him, knowing this. This is not imagining. Don't dream it. This is not Norman Vincent Peale on how to, how to think positively in the Christian life. Or how do we get past the life of constant sin? Oh, imagine you were crucified with Jesus and it's not you that's living anymore. Paul says, know that this is true. To the Galatians, he says, I was crucified with him. It's no longer me that lives, it's he that lives in me. And the life I'm now living, he's living to the glory of God. So we can be forgiven because he died on our behalf, but we can be delivered because we died with him. My wife got to witness to her father before he passed away, deathbed conversion, that whole thing. He knew he was dying. And he was transformed in those last few days. And uh, in his dying moments, she was there and she said, you know, Dad, you can let go. You can go now. No more pain. No more suffering. And, uh, you know, he was just newly saved and newly sanctified and he was a little rough around the edges. And so he said, that sounds blankety-blank good to me, you know. <laughs> so he was just being real, you know, with that. Forgiven because Jesus died in our stead. Delivered because we die with him.
upon faith in Jesus. This is the essence of Romans chapter 6. Forgiven because he died for us. Delivered because we die with him by faith. And are buried and raised again. You're not the same person. This is why Paul can say to the Corinthians that it's that we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.17 If anyone... Are you anyone? You're not no one. So you're either anyone or someone. You know? If anyone... Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, have you placed faith in Christ? Then Romans 6, if you placed faith in Christ, you were crucified with Jesus, buried with Jesus, and raised with Jesus. And now, 2 Corinthians 5, you are a new creature. The old has gone. All things have become new. Hallelujah. The Holy Spirit makes these facts real and true in our lives and in our experience as we cooperate with Him. See, all the trouble we get ourselves into is because we don't cooperate with God all the time. You know? Parents say that to their children often. And, you know, their children get themselves into some trouble and the parents say, if you had done what I said, this wouldn't have happened. But, you know, it happened. R. Paxson said, through the crucifixion of the old man with Christ, the believer has been made dead unto sin. He has been completely freed from sin's power. He has been taken beyond sin's grip. The claim of sin upon him has been nullified. This is the flawless provision of God's grace. But this accomplished fact can only become an actual reality in the believer's experience as faith lays hold upon it and enables him moment by moment, day by day, though temptation assail him, to reckon it true. As he reckons, the Holy Spirit makes real. As he continues to reckon, the Holy Spirit continues to make real. Sin need have no more power over the believer than he grants it through unbelief. If he is alive unto sin, it will be due largely to the fact that he has failed to reckon himself dead unto sin. You're you're aware, you've probably heard a little saying that I've coined um, is that people aren't a problem. It's only the living ones that cause you trouble. And when you and I are dead to sin, we don't even cause ourselves trouble. Because he who is dead is what? Free from sin. So this what Paul is saying is not saying imagine this or think positively about this. He's saying understand this truth. This is a truth. You have been crucified, buried and resurrected by faith in Jesus Christ into a new person. Now walk as that dead man. You see, the Reformation renewed a focus on spiritual birth, which is wonderful. 
And without that, and, and praise God for the Reformation in that regard, because it really did bring the gospel back into focus and, and the new birth, you know. That's not to say, because many people say, like the Reformation was the beginning of Christianity, which is not true. There were still Christians who lived by faith in Jesus right through that period of time. And in fact, in the ensuing couple of hundred years, many of them were persecuted by those who were supposedly reformed, uh, which is a great contradiction. Because, you know, Christians, I don't know if you've heard, we're not supposed to go around killing people so and, and persecuting other believers. We shouldn't do that. That's in God's hands. Anyway, the Reformation definitely renewed this focus on the spiritual birth, that's for sure. But what is lacking in many evangelical churches is an emphasis upon growth. And you often find in churches where there is um, a strong emphasis upon certain elements of Reformed theology that there is also a, a high degree of carnality that exists. And, uh, you know, we don't want to just be be saved and go to heaven, you know? Hallelujah. As good as that is. That that's, should not be the focus of the Christian life. Oh, I'm going to heaven, so now I can sin like the devil. That's... That is, there's something wrong with that kind of thinking that says, as Paul says in Romans 6 verse 1, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? If this salvation is accomplished by the grace of God and the more sin there was, the more grace there is, right? Where grace abounds, sin does much more abound. So therefore, following that logic, shouldn't we sin more so that grace can abound more? And Paul says, no. In fact... Your faith is such that by your faith you've been crucified, buried and resurrected so now you can live a new life to the glory of God. A new life in which by God's grace now you can overcome sin. Paul didn't say that would be easy though. Because every now and then we take back control, don't we? And when we take back control suddenly we get a bit out of kilter. You know, we start behaving wrongly around people. What sort of salvation would it be if the Father just saved us from the penalty of our sins, you know, and then left us on our own to deal with the power of sin in our lives? If salvation was all about asking Jesus into your heart so you can go to heaven and now you just have to get through life as best you can until you're taken to glory, you know. That's that's not what salvation is in its entirety. For sure, salvation is the key part of the, the Christian life. The cornerstone, I guess, of Christian doctrine is faith in Jesus Christ. But it's not just faith in Jesus Christ to go to heaven. It's faith in Jesus Christ that your life, day by day, might look more like the life of Jesus. That you're moulded into his image and that's not a life filled with sin. That's a call toward perfection. And I don't want to dishearten you, you're not going to make it this side of eternity. 
Oh, you don't know how perfect I am. <laughs> no, you might be more perfect than others. We're freed from the penalty of sin by his finished work. And we're freed by the, from the power of sin. By his finished work. I am not saying sinless perfection, all right? Because Paul wouldn't talk about this wrestle in life if it was sinless perfection. We're justified by faith, Galatians 3.24, and we continue to walk by faith in 2 Corinthians 5. Colossians 2 verse 6 says, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. How did you receive Jesus? By faith. How are you to walk in him? By what? By what? By faith. It's not a walk by tradition, it's by faith. Calvary is as much the foundation of sanctification as justification. We're justified because of Calvary. But as Paul said to the Colossians, as you have received Jesus by faith, now walk in him. That should be really encouraging to you because, see, much of Christianity is focused on, um, you know, this idea that um, that uh, I'll, I'll do my best and I'll just make confession and, um, you know, I'll, I'll just keep doing that. I'll, I'll pray and I'll confess and, you know, prayer, prayer and confession is an, is an important part of the Christian life. But prayer and confession deals with the penalty, not the source. That's that's what that deals with. God, I sinned. I sinned here because, you know. It deals with with the penalty of that, the, the conviction surrounding that sin. But the life of the Holy Spirit in you this idea of sanctification is dealing with the source of it in the in in Adam and in your old nature. You are a new creation, learning to walk in that. There is definitely an inward inclination towards sin, but what Paul is pointing out is that that inward inclination takes root and takes power as we are alive to ourselves, as we live for ourselves. Sometimes I think we just don't ask, what does the Lord want in this? You know, we think, oh, this sounds like a great idea. What does the Lord want in this? Sometimes people are surprised when they come along to Cornerstone and I say to them, look, take time because this may not be where God wants you. You know, and 
and they're a bit surprised by that because the usual thing is to is to essentially say to people, praise the Lord, you're here, this is the right place for you, you know. But this may not be where God wants you. You know, God may have a purpose for you in a local assembly. He definitely has a purpose for you in a local assembly. It may not be cornerstone. That's not to, you know, it may be to our detriment in some ways, but it's for the blessing of the body of Christ. It's what God wants that's important. And this is the question we're to ask ourselves, What, Lord, what do you want in my life? There's a quote that says, Our reckoning upon the finished work of our death under sin in Christ at Calvary is God's one way of deliverance. There is no other way because that is the way he did it. That's how he delivered us from sin, is at the cross. Is discipline important? It is, but it's to come out of our relationship with God. Yeah, imagine a married couple and, and she says, you know what? I used to sleep around before I married you and I'm going to discipline myself now and not do that. You know? And he'll be saying, gee, I feel the love. I'm really feeling it. We learned not to add to a finished work in the matter of justification and now we must learn not to add to the finished work of emancipation or freedom. We will be freed when we enter his prepared freedom. There's no other way. couple of quotes in closing. Usher's um, uh, has a fantastic uh, little, uh, I think it's called the um, Dictionary of Bible Customs or something. It is a phenomenal little book. And um, uh, I think it's Charles Usher, I think. Don't quote me on that. But if you can get a hold of Usher's book, it's really good. A really good book. I just can't remember the title of it. Um, he says, The believer can never overcome the old man, even by the power of the new, apart from the death of Christ. And therefore, the death of Christ unto sin is indispensable. And unless the cross is made the basis upon which he overcomes the old man, he only drops into another form of morality. In other words, he is seeking by self-effort to overcome self. And the struggle is a hopeless one. This man casts out demons by the devil, by Beelzebub. What was Jesus' answer to that? You know, that this can't be so. It can't happen. And so you and I cannot overcome self by self-effort. We have to come back to the cross. And, and part of that is just remaining in love with Jesus. Part of that is just that, just those prayer and meditation, just remaining in love with Jesus, being cautious to keep a tender heart toward him. Last two quotes. Marcus Rainford, It is not to be a mere passing impression of the mind when we are undisturbed by active temptation. 
No mere happy frame of spirit when under temporary refreshing from the presence of the Lord. No self-flattering consciousness of a heart exercised in good works. Uh, good works. From none of these is the believer to infer his practical mastery over sin, but on the ground that Christ died unto sin and liveth unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. When we think that we are overcoming sin by our effort, we are just the person Paul speaks of, beware when we think we stand, because then we fall, right? And so we must bring this back to the cross. Sin's victory, both over your sin you have committed and over between now and eternity, is all in the cross. It's, it is finished. It's not, it is part done. It's not, we're almost there. Now you just have to struggle to the finish line. That was not the crucifixion. The crucifixion is Jesus says, it is finished. Now that's either true or it's not. It's either the cross dealt with our sin or it did not. Major Ian Thomas, man, I tell you, if you want to be convicted, read some of his stuff, you know. I must recognize that the enemy within the camp, the flesh, the old nature self, I, the old Adam, is a usurper. By faith I must reckon him to be in the place that God put him, crucified with Christ. I must realize that now my life is hid with Christ in God, that he is my life. It is no longer I that liveth, but Christ that lives in me. This is the only key to victorious Christian living. It is grasping this principle of being crucified with Jesus Christ, buried with him, raised to a new life in him, and allowing him to live that life through us. Paris Reedhead tells the story of him making a deal with God. His, his testimony of his time in Africa is just a phenomenal story. And I would encourage you to listen to Ten Shekels and a Shirt. If you have never listened to that sermon, uh, you'll be greatly blessed by it. It's one of the best sermons I've ever heard. Um, I, I think it's the best sermon I've ever heard, to be honest. And he talks about how God was bringing him to a place of repentance and, uh, and he's making a deal with God and saying, Lord, you take the keys and the Holy Spirit is saying to him, that's not good enough, you've got to get out of the driver's seat. And so he says, you know, Lord, I'll sit in the passenger seat, you take control. And the Lord says, that's not good enough, you've got to get out of the passenger seat. And he gets in the back seat and he's, this Holy Spirit said, that's not good enough. And so he gets in the trunk, throws the keys to the Lord and closes the lid and says, take me where you want. You know, it's hard for us to let go and let God do what he wants. 
And these are all just metaphors and, and he was just talking about the wrestle he went through in life and, you know, his testimony is a phenomenal testimony. But this is true, isn't it? The enemy within the camp, the flesh, the old nature, the self, the I, the old Adam, he's a usurper. He's, you know, and, and in this meantime between salvation and eternity, we have this battle here. And God is transforming you into the image of Christ. Romans 8, 29, he is transforming you. Hallelujah. Crucified with Christ. If we died with him, then we've been raised to a new person. Now let's live that way. Amen. Let's live that way. Hallelujah. Now, Father, we thank you. Lord, we praise you for the wonders of Romans chapter 6. We praise you for the wonders of your word. Your word is living. Your word is truth. Your word is light. So we ask you, Lord, make your word a living reality in our hearts. Convict us where needed, Lord. Help us to see ourselves dead indeed unto sin, but alive to God through Jesus. We praise you and we thank you this morning. We love you for the wonders you bring us in your word. We love you for the indwelling of your spirit. We love you for your son given for us. And that by faith we might be forgiven, crucified, buried and raised again. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Thank you for listening to this message. You're welcome to duplicate this message in its entirety for non-profit purposes. For more information and resources, visit cgc.org.au.